Maybe I should say, you should not be judged because you speak a certain way or dress a certain way. You should be judged by your character. Language A represents the type of people you around and the neighborhood you in. You speak your environment, I guess. W.E.B. Du Bois describes the feeling of double consciousness as this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others. My name is Erin Ormsby and welcome to episode two of Black Language's Academic Language, Get With It or Get Out. How many times a day are you expected to give up your language identity? How many times a day are you corrected for speaking the way that you know how to speak? If you're white like me, I'm guessing that your answer is not so often or something along those lines. However, for many students, especially our black students, identity in schools is much like a coat check. They must check their identities at the door, wear a school supplied identity for eight hours, then they can have their identity back when they exit the building. What does this school supplied identity look like? Well, in my experience, it's policing of hairstyles, clothing, and especially language. When students fail to adhere to these standards for school identity, they are reprimanded, berated, and punished. This coat check identity system has been normalized for so long that even some of the most well-meaning educators have not questioned it entirely. The impact of years of this normalized racism is that students are taught that white is right because the messages of these policies and systems is that there is something wrong with black language and with who they are when they enter the building. When wearing their school supplied identities or white vision goggles, students are placed in an environment that forces them to sacrifice who they are and to adopt some norms that may conflict with their true being. Our black students are socialized within a white supremacist society, white supremacist educational system, and racist mass media that teaches them to internalize racism by convincing them that their lives, culture, languages, literacies, histories, experiences, are not complex and are unworthy of sophisticated critical analysis and reflection. And that's from Baker Bell on page 48. When students are subjected to these conditions, they develop a sort of double consciousness. We see students like Janelle who defend black language, but also perpetuate and believe harmful stereotypes. Janelle felt an urge to defend herself when Ms. Lockett called her out for her black language by saying, who is that speaking like they don't know proper English? And that's from Baker Bell on page 50. Now, Janelle tried to brush it off because she knows that she's smart. She just kills it on her PSATs. But what are the deep impacts of these kinds of harmful interactions? And what about our students who didn't just get a high score on their PSATs? How deeply does this anti-Black language rhetoric affect our students who are not quite as sure of themselves and are still developing their identities? At the same time, however, Janelle also described Black language speakers as incorrect and unintelligent. This tells me that even at her young age, the pattern of educators and adults in her life have led her to believe these stereotypes about Black language and Black people, even if she may recognize that they are problematic. 
Comments about language, like what Janelle experienced in school, are doing severe harm to our students by creating the cycle of miseducation. Also, that is not the only severe harm that's being done. This is just the one I'm talking about now. Back to it. When our children experience this type of educational trauma, not only do they internalize it, but they push white mainstream English on their kids because they believe that they're protecting their children from the linguistic violence they endured as children by teaching them to adhere to the respectability politics and not use black language. They do not realize that this is actually interfering with their children's language and literacy learning. I believe that educators do the same thing. Sometimes we're just being jerks about language like Ms. Lockett, but sometimes we want to protect them from the harsh, ra harsh racist world that lies ahead. This reminds me of my example of my co-teacher that I spoke about from last week. I mentioned that she is a Black woman who does perpetuate a lot of anti-Black rhetoric and anti-Black language. I think that the cycle of miseducation perfectly explains what is going on with the situation. As mentioned in my podcast last time, though, even though we want to protect our students from a world that does not accept their language entirely, we should not accept this. The only thing is, I really don't know what to do. I don't want my kids to face backlash, but I also don't want to continue this cycle of oppression, and I don't want to face backlash myself. I thought I had a solution of being real with the kids and telling them why we need to learn how to use white mainstream English in certain situations and teaching them how to try to push back on the system. But Flores and Rosa say that simply adding codes of power or other appropriate forms of language to the linguistic repertoires of our language minoritized students will not lead to social transformation. We must work actively to dismantle the hierarchies that produce that white listening subject. And that's from Flores and Rose on page 167. It's Rosa. That was not Rose, Rosa. Um, how can we dismantle these systems while still keeping our jobs? It feels that I myself have a double consciousness of what to do because I want to do right by the kids. I really, really do. But I also care about how my administration sees me. And honestly, stirring the pot is quite a scary thing. I've already been in trouble for it quite a few times at my school. Finally, in her TED Talk, Jamila Lysakot mentions that she is a trilingual orator who speaks a language for home, school, and friends. Even though she is mastering the ability to speak a language dependent on the context, just like Tamara from the other reading on pages 157 and 158, that's Flores and Rosa, she's still being complimented as being articulate. Now, I don't, don't know about you, but I have never heard of a white person being called articulate. It's because of the racist belief that black people speak black language and that black language is inferior. Lysakot mentions that she speaks these languages in different contexts. And I wonder, how can we embrace all of the languages in schools? Since she mentioned that each of them do have their own appropriate context in which they should be used. Aren't we trying to even out what we think is considered appropriate language for school? So that's where I wanna leave this podcast. I'm curious about that because I am feeling very empowered for, for incorporating black language into all aspects of my classroom. Um, but that kind of left me feeling a little bit confused. She mentioned that she does speak with her different languages in different contexts and she does cross them over to each other. But I'm wondering how we can make this transition a little bit more seamless. 
I have no solutions, but I do think that as educators, we should start looking at ourselves through the eyes of others, like W.E.B. Du Bois says. But we should also be really mindful about who we prioritize. Usually we look at ourselves through the eyes of administrators first. But what if we looked at ourselves through the eyes of our students, particularly our students of colors, and made that our priority? How would this change the way we view our classroom practices and our values? Thank you for joining me for another episode of Black Language is Academic Language, Get With It or Get Out. My name is Erin Ormsby and have a great night.